Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And today what we're going to do with this podcast, right, that we're in we're in the summer mode. It is late June when we're taping this and uh sure there's some stuff going on. There's it was a body found in Janaris Jenkins's New Jersey home recently. Uh but we'll see how that plays out. His brother was arrested. But look, unless Janaris Jenkins is specifically involved, and at this point we don't know that, and there's no indication that he is, then this is a sort of a side story for him, not necessarily for the Giants. So with that being said, we'll move on, and we're going to make this about covering the Giants and the Giants beat and give you an idea of what it's exactly like, a little more in-depth, covering the Giants for these last, what, six, seven years? And what better way to do that than to bring in the guy who held this job before me, Dan Graziano. He is now an ESPN NFL insider, but he was the Giants beat reporter before me. And let me say this about Dan. You know, I know there's some people out there who might not love him. He was harsh on the Giants, as I have been along the years. They haven't been that good the better part of the last seven years. But Dan does an excellent job, and that's why he's in the position he is now. And I, we're very friendly. And I appreciate everything he's done for me because he helped me get this job. He was a, he was integral to me being able to get this job. I was at the StarLedgerNJ.com before. And when the, he was moving up the ladder, one of the people he put in a good word was for me. So I will always be indebted to Mr. Dan Graziano. So on top of being a good reporter and very knowledgeable NFL insider, He's also a good dude, and I'll never forget that, and that, that means something to me, but he also has a lot of insight on what it's like to cover the Giants, as do I. So what we're going to do here is we're going to make this episode about your two New York Giants beat writers for the ESPN over the past seven years, and with that being said, here we go, Dan Graziano. On to the next one. All right, so here he is. Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL insider, former Giants beat reporter, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about here, Dan. You know, you're, you're uh, I'm your successor, so I got I got big. Mm-hmm. These are these were big shoes we had to fill here, and it's it's been uh, quite an interesting ride here. So let's uh, let's start from the beginning, right? When did you get on the Giants beat? When did you start covering the Giants? Because you weren't really on the beat, right? Right. Well, we, you know, we haven't exactly, you and I haven't exactly covered like a golden age uh, of <laughs> Giants history, right? Like this is, so I was, I was NFC East blogger. Um, and they hired me at ESPN in 2011 for that job. So I, I did that job that, and that was a good year for the Giants. I, I, you know, the NFC East blogger, you went with whatever team was in the playoffs and they won the Super Bowl that year. So yeah, that, that, was, qualifies. that was fun. Uh, and then in 2013, when they went to the 32 team model, um, they put me on Giants. So the, the Full-time Giants beat was 13, 14, and 15, which were 7 and 9, 6 and 10, 6 and 10, fire the coach. So it was interesting, but uh, not the most super uh, exciting of times for Giants fans, that's for sure. When, do you, when did you see the, the tide sort of turn, right? Because like, that, that's what we're talking about here. We, we both see it. Yeah. We, we, we get there, There's just uh, an anger, and it's sort of a lot of times directed in our direction because uh, obviously, right. like you said, there's no, not a lot has gone right. Where, right. where do you think it turned? You mean for the team? 
Or or just like just the, the sentiment up. about the team oh. that we've sort of felt along the way. Uh, from the fan standpoint. Yeah, from the fan standpoint. I think, I think you know, like, look, I, I didn't think the 11 team was that good, and, and there were 7-7 there were seven and seven of two games to go, and then they, they got hot, obviously. They had all those champions left over from 07, and they had all had one run left in. So, you know, it seemed like at that point, if you were paying attention, you, you knew that the roster was kind of – going to get hollowed out. But even if you go back to like 2012, 2013, Jerry Reese still had a reputation as a guy who was very good at the draft. Now that if the, the facts were starting to undermine that reputation, but as is very often the case, you know, that's not something the fans really wanted to hear or believe. So, um, you know, you're still, you're still in proximity to the two Super Bowls, and, and I think it takes a long time. So to me, I, I don't think the fan sentiment, yeah, I, I go back to like, like 2013, they lost their first Six games? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and oh, and six. Six. That's when I joined. That's when I joined I mean, you. We came in the, the I mean, when, when they were 0-6, oh right before they played, uh, what was his name? Josh Freeman, oh, right? Josh Freeman and the Vikings. Right, Vikings handed him their first win that year. They, uh, but the, um, yeah, they lost a, a Thursday night game in Chicago to fall to 0-6. And, and uh, at that point, the reputation was still different. I remember sitting in the press box in Chicago that night with Ian O'Connor, and the Giants were 0-5, and, and they're driving down the field, trailing late, and and Ian, who's covered all the great you know giant Super Bowl runs and you know and the Eli runs, he's like, yeah, I think Eli leads him to a touchdown here and they get the win. I said, yeah, really? See, I've been watching all year, and I, I think he's going to throw an interception, which he <laughs> did. And uh, and then they were all in six, and so so to me it was like I'm coming at this with fresh eyes, like I'm not really kind of steeped in the tradition of of Giants fandom and whatever, and it just didn't look right to me. But I think it took that full year. And then into into the next year before people realized what was going on because you know people saw it as a blip right like 2013 all oh, that seven and nine they they recovered they finished the season strong they'll be okay but um, they weren't they weren't going to be okay and and I think uh, it took until you know sometime during the 2014 season where people started to say oh this feels like the same thing all over again and that's when it started to, I think sink in for the people that were really paying attention yeah you know the ironic part is right. They've had one good season since then. And yes. the coach of that one season is the coach that everybody pretty much believes is might be like the worst coach of all time, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, that's their one winning season. I mean, they're 33 and 47 in those, yeah. what, five years? Is it one, two, three? Yeah, five years since, since yeah. I've been there. So it, it, and you know what? I mean, we, we've talked about this before, but when I showed up and I got there, I was really surprised. Because you, you you know they had this rep the Giants had this reputation right and they're still almost yeah. doing a bit this is well run organization and uh, you know with a lot of winning in the in the recent history and you got there and you saw you're like what is going on here and it wasn't just it, it, there were deep rooted problems there and it, it, it like do you think that we've gotten to the point now where those are gone like do do you look at it as all right we've kind of got it cleaned up here now at least they're moving in the right direction. Well, they might be moving in the right direction, but they're still sort of at or near bottom. I mean, they're coming off one of the worst seasons they've ever had in franchise history, and, and I don't think it's right for people to view that as the aberration. I think the 11-5 and five season the year before stands out, as you mentioned, as the aberration, the only winning season in the last, uh, what, six. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of close games that they won, and the defense played out of its mind, and, and could they get back to something like that? People recover all the time, but... 
you know, fundamentally, you've got to build through the draft. And any Giants fan worth the salt six or eight years ago would have sworn by the Giants as a team that, that had shown that, that had consistently built through the draft. And, and I, would, I would venture to say that during that time, when the team in Washington had a reputation as a hit, let's win season, let's sign the big free agents, I, I bet that was something that Giants fans openly disdained and thought, well, that's not how you operate. That's now how the Giants operate because they've drafted so poorly. They now have to go out and sign top-of-the-market free agents if they want to be competitive. Uh, Olivier Vernon a couple of years ago, Nate Solder this year, you know, obviously uh, Damon Harrison. I mean, great players, but, you know, in a salary cap era, if you're, play, if you're paying guys at the top of the market, it's hard to build a roster, especially when you're not getting those contributions from draft picks. So, I think, you know, it's it's easy to look at a player like a Saquon Barkley and feel a great deal of hope because that's a wonderful player who I think will be very good for them. But to think that they were Saquon Barkley away from everything being all right, I think would be misguided. And I think that would be not paying attention to what's been going on here the last six, seven years. Yeah, we're in a, they're in a multi-year process right now. And the hope yeah, at least absolutely. is that they have the right people in place. To help them turn around, and that being Dave Gettleman. Now, you can agree or disagree, and we have with some of his uh, decisions and how to move forward here. But the hope is that with him and Pat Shermer that this team is is going to sort of uh, reload and uh, put it together here. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see how that turns out. But in the meantime, they're moving forward, and they still have some of the same key pieces. So... Let's just talk for a second. Let's give people a little insight. What was what's your takeaway on covering Eli Manning as a quarterback and as a person? Because he, he's a real, you know, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, I, I found I found, and I you know, so just so people know, if they don't know about me, I covered Major League Baseball for fourteen years, including those Joe Torre uh, Yankee dynasty teams, and you know, seen, seen a lot. I think Eli Manning is the most um, accessible star athlete I've ever covered. Now, this is a guy that, that, and I don't think people realize this, but when you cover the NFL, a lot of times the quarterback talks on Wednesday and that's it. Like you're not going to get him the rest of the week. Eli talks on Wednesday and, and he doesn't really do anything for him, but, but you know, Jordan, I mean, if, if you're sitting there on a Friday and you got a question for the quarterback of the Giants and he's sitting there at his locker tying his shoes, you can go ask him and he'll talk and he, he'll answer. And, and he's, he, he's a very down to earth person in my experience, considering, um, you know, his stature in the, in the sports landscape and the NFL landscape and the New York uh, landscape. And I always, I always, I always enjoyed that about him. Um, he doesn't help you much in terms of a quote or information, but I also don't think he's helping any of my competitors. Uh, and, and I feel like if I go to him with an interesting topic, um, then he'll think about it and give me an answer that, that, that can help my story. So, I enjoyed covering Eli Manning, and uh, I also respect the heck out of him as a competitor. I mean, what, what he did in that 2011 playoff run with a team that really kind of needed to be carried um, was carry them. And, and he's, a, he's a championship guy who uh, is comfortable in his own skin and, and was, a, was a lot of fun to cover. Is he the greatest quarterback of all time? No. Is he the greatest quarterback in his family? No. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's, his career is one that any number of quarterbacks entering the league at this point would, would – gladly signed for at this moment you know that's the interesting part with Eli is that a lot of what you just said is what you see on the side right the way he operates the way he's just he's so cool calm and collective and you know he he never he never flinches even when people are asking him questions and he'll just stand there and let me just tell the people the way Eli works is 
he talks on Wednesday, right? But he doesn't just talk on Wednesday. He does shifts on Wednesday, right? <laughs> There's like first the cameramen come, right? <laughs> so the cameramen come. They talk. They talk to him for like five minutes, and then they sort of like filter out, and then the writers come, right? The beat writers kind of come and take over and some of the questions that they save and they let the, after the cameras go, they kind of go in. And then there's like the columnists that maybe like hang around. They want to get like a specific angle from Eli. So they stay even longer. It's like a three course meal for Eli right there. And he really (laughs) does it all. And it takes about, I don't know, what would you say? A good half hour? Oh yeah. There are, depending on the week and the storyline, there are times where he'll talk almost the entire 45 minute availability um, in the open locker room. So, yeah, the other thing I always liked Jordan about him was, uh, you know, on a Monday. And again, this is I'm I'm talking to you. You know this, but people who are listening might not. Right. On a mon- on a Monday after a game, they'll they'll do a conference call. Right. They'll have the coach on a conference call and they have a player, and um, or maybe a couple players. Eli, to me, and I, I, I I'm sure there are exceptions, but in general. After a win, you never heard Eli. But after a loss, Eli's always on the conference call on Monday. Right? Yeah. After a yeah. win, he's happy to let somebody else do it and take the credit. But after they lose, it seems like Eli feels like it's part of his job to be on that conference call. Uh, and I always thought, uh, I always respected him for that. Look, I, I, he reminds me of Jeter uh, in a lot of key respects. I didn't particularly like Jeter. Uh, I do like Eli. But uh, I, I think the way he carries himself and the way he he views his public responsibility as as the as part of that team as a leader of that team reminds me a lot of Jeter and, and I think if you talk to Eli about it he would say that uh, that he's viewed him as a bit of an example too. Yeah, he's mentioned that before. The amazing part is the way he acts off the field, and I think that's part of why he does so well in those uh, high leverage spots, right? Those really yeah. tight spots, the the playoffs, the the pressure and stuff. Because he just really does shrug it off, like as if it's nothing. Like you know, the the what yes. was it the the Joe Montana line where he he says, "Look at John Candy in the John stands." Candy, exactly. <laughs> like right. that's that's something like I could see Eli Manning doing, right? I mean, he he yes. just that's just his personality, and it it really carries off the field as well. So it's really a, a fascinating character, and it just being or really just being himself in all. Yeah. In all realms, and, and uh, I think that's the beauty of Eli there. So, all right, let's talk about some of your other favorite players. Who who really pops out? You've been, you've, you've been in the locker room for the better part now. Of I mean, the last couple of years you haven't been there every day. But yeah, you're still around enough. The current work. team as well. Yeah, that's um, right. When, I don't, yeah, the current team. I, don't, I mean, I don't know Damon Harrison. Right, right. Uh, uh, you know the, the big guys on that team because but there's some leftovers like you know Odell from yeah. his early early eight time sure, there his sure. first couple uh, of years. You know, he's he's his own sort of character as everybody knows. And uh, we did a story on him his second year, big feature on the, on Sunday Countdown, and uh, you know I got to talk to him and spend a little time with him. That was fun. Um, I believe you went to Florida yeah, at I, some point too, didn't you? Yeah, with uh, to talk to Jarvis Landry about him. That's right. Um, but. Um, you know, I what Justin Tuck was a great guy to talk to in the locker room. Um, you know, those teams, see, those teams that, that the leftover Super Bowl guys, Terrell Thomas. Um, you know, those were guys that had a lot of perspective on the game. Uh, you could talk to about a lot of different topics. Um, I personally thought, and I made uh, you tell me if you agree. I thought when Jason Pierre-Paul came back from his from his accident, I thought he was a different guy and a lot easier to talk to and a lot more. Um, Sort of, not that I ever disliked talking to Jason, mm-hmm. but he could he, he could get a little you know heavy ego on you and kind of. But I, he, he seemed like he was 
he was more of a pure pleasure to talk to in the immediate aftermath of that. His perspective um, definitely changed. It, it yeah. also filtered away at the end of last, like the second half of Did last it? year when, when things, yeah. you know, they, it, not that he was a bad guy to talk to. It's just mm-hmm. that you could tell the frustration was building with the season getting really bad last year. And I mean, that was pretty much for most guys, but and, you, know, when Mike you understand that. Covering, covering losing teams, and I mentioned those Yankee teams I covered, but I also covered some really bad Florida Marlins teams early in my career. I, I feel like when you're around a losing team, like it's really not anybody's fault, but they just kind of get sick of you because, like, it's the same questions every day, and you know they're not out there trying to lose. And, and at some point, it just becomes hard to talk about. So I could see that, even because even those six and ten, seven and nine teams that I covered, you know, they kind of got it together in the second half and remained competitive. I always thought that was kind of an accomplishment of Tom Coughlin's in those lost years that that they were still they were still on the field trying to win games in December. They just weren't good enough. To do yeah. It. Um, and uh, I think you know I don't I wasn't around last year's team. Obviously, I saw them late in the year, the Eagles game, the home game against the Eagles, but um, where they played well and lost. But um, yeah, it just didn't. I mean, I, I would think three and thirteen is the kind of thing where by the second half, it, it's hard to really get anything out of anybody. Yeah, even worse is that when you have to deal with the coaching situation, right? Right. Like when you oh, have gosh, to keep yeah. keep hearing questions about. Is your coach have is it under control? Because yeah. you know guys are getting suspended, and and what's yeah. with all the dysfunction that's going on here? Is there a problem in the locker room that really wears on guys? And and then yeah. that's when that's when look they really just they 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 shut down. They yeah. really do. So you know, I didn't have a year like that on the Giants beat because, like I said, they were bad and they, they were had out Coughlin. early, but they weren't. You know, they they were still there, and they had and they had seasoned veteran professionals. You know, that had been you know been through everything, and so. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, you, that, that must have been a fascinating season to cover up close. I think people listening don't understand from a reporter's perspective, you know, you, you kind of want it to be interesting. Not that you want it to be bad, but you had storylines. You know, the coach in the front office turnover in early December, um, you know, all that stuff. Whereas, like, by the end of the, you know, by midway through the 2013 season, you knew they weren't going to bench the quarterback. You knew they weren't going to fire the coach. Yeah, and not that you're rooting for these things to happen, but you're looking at two months where you're like, there's not going to be any news worth reporting about this team until yeah. the offseason. That's a, that's a tough situation for a reporter. Yeah, me and you had some interesting phone calls along the way there. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> something you know, something's going on with oh, DRC. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Next thing you know, he's uh, suspended, right? Oh, or he, he walked hey. out of the building, got suspended. Hey, yeah. And then, hey Dan, I think, hey Dan, I think they might bench Eli for Geno Smith. Come uh, on, what are you telling? Are you kidding me? Wait, let's <laughs> let's let's tell people that story real quick. I called Dan because I, I had heard somebody said to me, I think they might be benching Geno. I mean, Eli for Geno Smith. Yeah. And but they're like, I can't tell if they're joking with me or not. If it was a joke or not. So I called Dan, and me and you are going back and forth over the scenario. No, that can't be real, right? <laughs> then it was like, who can we call? Because they're at practice right now, and uh, and it was just. A, I mean, you're putting your calls and your texts out, but it's like anybody who would know is on the practice field or on the sideline of the practice field, and then they announce it what a couple hours later. Yeah, yeah, not even. I think it was like an hour later. I remember sitting in the media room, and someone goes, "Is this real?" And I'm thinking to myself, "Oh darn it, that, it's real." <laughs> <laughs> and then you go back and forth, right? Like in the, in the weeks after, like who else could I have made one more call that locked yeah. that in? That, yeah, yeah. It's crazy because we were sitting there and we're like, nah, that's too crazy. That just sounds yeah. like why? Why would they go to Geno Smith and not Davis Webb? Like why? Right. Why? That, that would have was, made it more believable. Yes, if, yeah. if they had told me Davis Webb, I think we would have been. We would have. We could easily bought that. 
Well, and then maybe they would have kept their jobs. <laughs> well, I don't think so because they were going to go to Davis well, Webb eventually, for, for anyway. More weeks, uh, I don't yeah. think I don't I don't yeah. think that earned anybody any goodwill when they no. when that was going to ha- when they people found that out anyway. No. So what? So let's talk real quick about how much you think covering a team has changed in the last what five, six, seven years, and where do you think this is going? Like, because here's the deal, ready? I every every off season, pretty much in the summer. I try yeah. and do a self-assessment and figure out, okay, how can I improve the coverage and where can we go? And what, by doing that, you have to kind of figure out where you are at in the first place, right, and what's at your sure. disposal. Sure. So I want to get your take real quick on where we're at with the B coverage, you think, and, and where do you think it can go now with what's available to people? I still think the, the currency we have and, and that you have being there day in, day out with your sources is information. You tell people what's going on. You know, even if they don't like it, at least I mean, at least that's your job. Problem we have now is, in terms of uh, of our the analyst component of our jobs is, and this extends well beyond sports, unfortunately, in the current media landscape. It's too easy for people to find. Somebody wants to be told something about their team. Um, yeah, there's plenty of that out there, right? There's plenty of right. of, of, of propaganda. Um, Definitely. So if you're if you're reporting and if you're uh, as as you are a, a good reporter who knows what that means and that you're there to dig and find out what's going on behind the scenes and tell people stuff that they don't know, uh, you put yourself in a position where you might tell somebody something they don't want to know, or that they want to believe is not true, and then that puts you in a situation in an era where fans have access to us. Um, you know you're under attack. And, uh, yeah, part of the job is fine. But it, it can be frustrating when people fail to understand what we're doing. And I think, you know, we fought that for years with players. You know, players in the locker room don't necessarily know why we're there. Um, I can to explain to people. And the reason we're here is because the, you know, tens of thousands of people that want information about you can't all fit in here. And so we have to go right. find out what's going on so we can tell them. Um and, and we're blessed guess, to be in that spot where we can. Yeah, I mean, this oh, is God, this is what a, a, what a great job. I mean, yeah, what a, what, a, what an not, amazing way to make a living. Um, but uh, I think people on the outside sometimes don't understand that. Like, hey, man, we're not here to, to to root for the team. We're here to find out what's going on with the team and tell you. And if that's good, then great. If it's great. But, but you know, right? What's we doing? I do think we're in an era, unfortunately, where people fail to understand the function of media. Uh, in our society, let alone our, our sports fan society. Well, let's see. We we go on Twitter and we, we see all the hey. Do you think if we put up a poll, who yeah. would, who would be the winner of the fans' least favorite beat reporter? I I have to believe, and maybe I'm a fool, but I have to believe absence makes the heart grow fonder, and that uh, and that you covering a three thirteen team. Uh, are bearing of uh, anger right now than I still do. I'm sure there's people out there that still don't like me, and that's fine. Well, but they're I blocked. Think, they're know, blocked, so they might not be able to vote. Right. They, no, no, see, now wait. People who don't like me aren't all blocked. It's people <laughs> who cursed at me. It's people who said things about my children. Yeah, that's, know, like those kind by of the way. But, those uh, yeah, kind of things, they, just, you know, they, don't, they don't belong. In, like, this, like, what are yeah. you doing? You know, like, you not, get a grip on yourself. Because that's just not... Long out there, so 
Yeah, I would say I don't know. We'll put the poll up and see. I, I always we got to remember Twitter represents a very small segment of our of our uh, fan society. And I, I have to think that uh, that most Giants fans uh, that you would encounter in person would uh, would appreciate what you're doing. But uh, Twitter is a nasty place. I it is. It is. But it is I funny bet, and it's I entertaining. On, I would bet on you because of your proximity in time to uh, to the situation. I've been a little bit removed from the Giants situation the last couple of years, so. I'm guessing it would be you, but who knows? I was thinking I mean, that. I was thinking. I was thinking that as well. I was also going over my head. By the way, a little last thing here before we go. Some of our because look, we hung out a lot, right? When we were on the beat, and you travel, we we go, we stop at different places, right? Yeah. I was thinking about some of our our top moments along the way. Yeah. And uh, one of the first ones that came to my head was that that dinner we had in Nashville. I think it was Nashville, right? They brought your yeah, steak boy. out. That was I had to go pick out my steak. That was that was one of those dinners where we finished up and like we should have should have gone somewhere a little less expensive. Yeah, that is true. You that got to pick. New Orleans. New Orleans on Halloween stands out for me. Uh, New Orleans on Halloween, the night before that, fifty-one to forty. Yes, game, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was wild. And I came home with a cracked phone. I know that I came home with a cracked phone from New Orleans. So that I think that it kind of explains uh, the Halloween in New in, in Louis, New Orleans. <laughs> That was, a, that was an interesting night to experience New Orleans, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we've had some good times, and, uh, yeah. you know, we'll do it again soon because you know, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be at a couple Giants games here or there. Maybe if they're relevant and more relevant, which has an opportunity this year, then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you'll be there even more. So, I would hope so. I appreciate it, Dan. Thanks for stopping by right, and reminiscing about your days on the Giants because we all know how much you miss it. You miss it, right? You do. I it was a fun time, but uh, life goes on. <laughs> Very nice way to say that. Very nice way. Appreciate it. On to the next one. All right. It's time now for your favorite segment. Or um, at least I'm saying that. But where we answer all your questions, or at least some of them. And I do my best to fill you in on all the giants' answers that you think you need. Because that's what we do here at Giants... After dark. All right, so let's get a few questions here. A few questions in the book. We'll start this week. We got three questions, okay? We'll start this week with at plus sign. His name is Glenn. He asks, is there a player you think hated playing for the Giants? Now, let me just clarify. I came in the middle of that 2013 season, right? Uh, right. Giants started 0-6. Complete disaster of a season, and nothing went right for them, and it was just they they, they rebounded later in the year, but it, the, the season was over in the first few weeks. And Brandon Myers had a really tough time; he had some drop passes. People were criticizing him. He's the one guy I would say that look. He never said I didn't like playing in New York or I didn't like playing in this atmosphere, but he just. It just didn't seem to work for him. Nothing seemed to work for Brandon Myers. He was a tight end who was signed. He was supposed to sort of fill the role, uh, the hole that was there, left by uh, Martellus Bennett, and it just didn't work. Nothing about it worked for Brandon Myers. He seemed like he was unhappy. Everything he just seemed miserable with the Giants. And his play on the field, I think, showed that. He just did not have a good year. He had a down year. They were hoping to get uh, significant production out of him, and it really was a, a signing that did not work for the Giants 
or from Brandon Myers himself. So that would be the guy I said. And I'll tell you real quickly, I remember when I was in Philadelphia covering the, the Eagles, Chris Clemens was a defensive end there. Uh, and I have never, and Chris Clemens, he was a backup at the time and he wasn't playing. And this is a guy who ended up having a decent career and he was a decent player. He was miserable. I've never seen a player more miserable than Chris Clemens was in Philadelphia. He was just mad at everybody. He seemed to hate the world and was not nice to anybody and just seemed to want out of the Eagles in Philadelphia so badly. Chris Clemens, wow. I remember you You would talk to him, and he answered questions as if he was just pissed off. I mean, on a daily basis. So... That is another one that popped in my head when you asked that. Obviously, that's not the Giants, but uh, just it happens with guys. They, they get stuck in bad situations. They're not playing. They're not playing as well as they think they should or hope. They don't, and, and everything around them sort of gets affected by that. So, all right, Dilly Dilly asks at the Stas on Twitter, do you think the Giants will dip into any of the supplemental corners in the draft? I see some potential, and they're very low on depth. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, I do think there's a possibility the Giants look into that supplemental draft. Now, you have to dig deep in the supplemental draft players because you have to understand what is the reason that these guys are in the supplemental draft in the first place, okay? There's always some kind of circumstance, oftentimes has to do with personality or them getting kicked off a team or whatever it is. Now... There's some guys out there who may not be exactly guys with checkered past histories. The Virginia Tech guy is not a guy who apparently who's been in any significant trouble. Uh, so I think that's one. I think his name is Adonis Alexander. I think that's one that, that may work for the Giants. And I know that when the Giants went and looked back at that film from the spring and they looked at their defensive backfield, they realized that, hey, it needs help. There are players that we don't know if they could really fill in and fit significant roles. I mean, they need a slot cornerback. Uh, they need cornerback depth. What if something uh, with Janaris Jenkins turns into something bigger or Eli Apple implodes again? Like this is a team that knows they need cornerback depth. They tried to do it by on the cheap with what they had and they were, they were signing cheap options. A lot of guys, several guys really didn't play or do anything last year. And throwing him at minimum salary and throwing him into the pot, hoping that one of them pops and they get a significant something out of one of them. So I think it didn't, it, you could see this spring that the Giants were short at those positions. And I would, I wouldn't, I think that there's a strong chance that they go and look at the supplemental draft and perhaps come away with something. Now, of course, it depends what the other teams think too. And, where do they consider? Where would they consider drafting some of these guys? I don't think the Giants are going to use a high draft pick, but you know, maybe a later one. I think it's a, po- a strong possibility at that because that position sort of matches their need. So, all right, with that, actually, we're going to cut it at two. We're only going to do two today. It's summer edition. It's nice outside. Get outside. Actually, hopefully, you're you're watching this or not watching because you this is an audio version. You're listening to this. Hope you're listening outside, maybe on the beach, uh, maybe on the golf course. Although listening to a podcast on a golf course might be kind of strange. I, I don't think I would do that. So let's not recommend that. All right, that was a dumb suggestion on my part. I, I'll come up with some. The beach was a good one. The beach on your deck, on your balcony, uh, before you go to sleep, 
you know, you go, that's the great thing about podcasts. You can listen to it anywhere. Especially this Breaking Big Blue, this episode, the Beat Writer Edition, the Giants Beat Writer Edition with myself and special guest Dan Graziano, who we appreciate for having on. So we'll do this again soon. Feel free, as always, send me questions at email, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you can. Send me questions. I'll try my best to answer them. And uh, let us know what you want to hear more of this uh, this off season. And make sure you go to iTunes. This is also available this uh, on the ESPN app. Uh, and make sure you go to iTunes, though, and give us a good rating. We appreciate those ratings. And we'll come back next time. Once again, I'm Jordan Ronan. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.